0: up for a rough and rowdy april 1st episode in honor of patron of cinema bums themselves we're not talking about the podcast here we're just talking about the two people who make it we're talking about molly lovejoy it's her birthday week we are here to represent for her and in honor of her we've got remember the name part two fresh out the oven it's cinema bums i'm emmett and i'm daddy Cool. (laughs) <laughs> you guys remember Daddy? Cool? I do remember Daddy. Cool. Wait, can we hit that? Can we? Yeah. All right. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through both movies in popular film franchises. One, both at two, both at the same time this week. Just... <laughs> completely and utterly defeated by this. <laughs> By this intro, this time, just skip to the good <laughs> All stuff. Right. <laughs> All right, today we're returning to our mini series, Remember the Name, covering every film in the Richard Jewell series. We will fully t- spoil today's films, Paddington and Paddington 2, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series because currently I don't think there are any except for maybe that weird one. You know what I'm talking about. Wade, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm it. tonight. I'm really patting
1: it. It's done the test. How are you
0: doing? I'm doing absolutely <laughs> marmalade, Um uh, Because today <laughs> we're honored to have a special guest. Uh, please welcome Zane Holliman. Friend of the pod, returning champion. Thank you. Not to mention the maestro behind our beautiful theme music.
1: Yeah, thank you for joining us all the way from Bandcamp, where you can normally be found. (laughs) Of course, of course. How's it going, Zane?
2: It's going great. I'm so excited to talk about these wonderful movies. Just such a better experience than the last one we had. (laughs) Really? Really? You think so? I, well, <laughs> I, just better, more fun movies to watch. I would say the series really hit its stride with, with the third entry.
0: I think that this two is similar to the previous two in one key way. And that's that. I think the first one is like a tighter and more well-directed movie. And the second one is just a balls to the wall adventure. But I like both three and four better than one and two, you know? Yeah. Hmm. All right. I really see what they were doing there if you know what I mean. Like, I really think where, where things get left off at the end of Artemis Fowl, I think it really picks up quite well. The beginning of Paddington and that movie improves on those <laughs> yeah. themes yes. yeah, you know, in a way that really moves the series forward. And by the time you get to Paddington two, you know, you're just like, you're tying it all back around to like the prison theme, the false accusations from Richard uh-huh. Jewell I mean, it's right, all there. Right. It's all they—they they, <laughs> right. they were trying to say something. Yeah, and the post-credit
1: scene where Richard Jewell comes out and asks Paddington if he wants to join a team, <laughs> I thought it was excellent. Yeah, very excited for the future of the franchise. Wait, had
0: you ever seen these movies before?
1: Yes. Today we're talking about the Paddington movies. I had never seen either of these movies before, although I had certainly heard a lot about Paddington too. And I've got to say something. I thought that I had read the Paddington books, and then I looked at these things, and I realized that I had been read as a child the Corduroy books. Mm, And now I'm kind of looking askance at Corduroy and saying, was this the American ripoff that I was being fed? Because I'm pretty sure Corduroy is like found in an airport or something, (laughs) something very similar, but slightly different. Mm.
2: Yeah, I also remember being read the same physical Corduroy books. And I think having a Corduroy plushie at some point, I believe we were, we were raised with the American ripoffs.
1: It's basically like we were read the monkeys instead of the Beatles. And now I'm hearing a Beatles (laughs) song for the first time. Zane, had you ever seen any of the Paddington movies? My
2: history with the series starts the summer of 2019 when I worked uh, at UNCSA Summer Session, which we all have done to some extent. And uh, I was working as a resident and I was working with a a film student there. He just wouldn't stop talking about the two Paddington movies. It was most of what we talked about was him telling me to watch them. And I, I did not at the time... And then two members of the bass studio at my school got really into them. And we had a a Paddington plushie just in the practice rooms for a while. I had always been told that the first Paddington was about Brexit, which I discovered was more in just a general xenophobia.
1: I think that's the second one.
2: The second one?
1: Because the first one is pre-Brexit. Right. The second one is what people talk about as being a response to Brexit.
2: Yeah, i had always been told that and was intrigued and like believed everyone that they were really excellent movies, but just didn't didn't get around to it.
0: All right.
1: Emmett, had people told you to watch these and you ignored them as well? (laughs) Or had you previously seen these?
0: I had not previously seen them. I think that you had told me that people talk about them being great movies. And I had always said, Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll watch that sometime. But then was totally excited when we decided to do it for the podcast, especially, I mean, just to show you how the sausage is made. Like, we knew we were doing Paddington when we chose Richard Jewell. So, like, when we decided that, I've been thinking, I've been, like, looking forward to this, knowing that I was going to have an excuse to watch this movie for, like, a year now. So, So, like, to finally get to see it now after, like, all of that hype... And really, I mean, tying together the the loose threads, like all of those cliffhangers, all those people who you're not sure are going to make it at the end of Artemis Fowl, really like to see them come back in such a strong way in the beginning of Paddington, wrap up their plot line and then completely disappear for the next two movies. was incredible.
1: Yeah. And what was really incredible is how Paddington, a movie from 2014, (laughs) <laughs> ties up all these threads and was in fact released after Artemis Fowl, a movie from 2020. Before its that time. Was an impressive,
2: impressive uh writing feat that got there.
1: <laughs> truly. Truly before its time. Okay, let's take this one at a time. Let's talk about the original Paddington. Released November 28th, 2014 in the United Kingdom by Studio Canal. Released January 16th, 2015 in the United States by the dreaded Weinstein Company, Dimension Films, publishers of Scream and Paddington. This first movie is written and directed by Paul King, who had only done one film before this in 2009 called Bunny and the Bull, which I think is a sort of psychedelic British comedy, but he's probably most known for directing all of the mighty boosh. Anyone seen The Mighty Boosh? And by that, I mean, Emmett, have you or your mother seen The Mighty Boosh? Because I know she's very up on the British comedies.
0: Yeah, so it's it's like a British sketch comedy, similar to Monty Python, but like from the early 2000s, I think. Mm. The old Greg character and sketch is from The Mighty Boosh. And there's a bunch of others as well. Oh. Of, like, other famous, like, internet, like, YouTube sensation sketches from that time period would, like, uh-huh. be from that, but you wouldn't necessarily have seen, like, a whole season of it. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen a whole season of it, but I just, like, saw clips and parts of it. Maybe not even a whole episode, but just, like, clips and parts up on YouTube.
1: Truly wild to think that the same guy directed all Greg and Paddington. <laughs> right. So he wrote and directed it, but the story was by him and Hamish McColl. Hamish also wrote Mr. Bean's Holiday, Johnny English Reborn, and, oh, what's this? Artemis Fowl. Whoa. (laughs) Really? He came back for the third one? Yes, that's correct. See, just a story credit, not a screenplay, but the Fowl Connection, as we like to say in the business. Um, These are based on the Paddington Bear books written by Michael Bond. The first one was published in 1958, A Bear Called Paddington, uh, and he wrote over the course of his lifetime, before passing away in 2017, 35 Paddington books, of which 14 are the main line series, which I think are all just short story collections,
0: the main books. There's a PBU, A Paddington Bear Universe, we need to. See, we need to see. There might be a, <laughs> an even an a PBMV a, a, a Paddington Bear multiverse, if you will. If there is a main line and a separate line, incredible.
1: There is, and we will talk about that more later. The score is by Nick Urata, not mm. a person who has done much other than this. I would say his most high profile credit is Crazy Stupid Love. Runs one hour thirty five minutes nominated for Best British Film and Best Adapted Screenplay at the BAFTAs that year. Emmett, how would you explain the plot of Paddington to anyone who hasn't seen it?
0: The best adventure movie since Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is the most well-directed peril and laughter a minute romp. I've ever seen. It's about a young bear who has to flee his homeland because of a natural disaster, and then he finds himself in a London that is much, much less welcoming than he initially expected, until he is taken in somewhat reluctantly by the sweet family. They slowly learn to love him as he makes many a a, a mistake based on his like bearish nature. Eventually there's this, you know, this evil woman is after him. To turn him into a stuffed bear in a museum. Finally, they prevail through love and friendship and uh, marmalade.
1: Okay, Zane Paddington, flop or bop? Just absolute bop. Real good, real sweet.
2: Having just like a very sweet 90-minute movie just to get into was so exciting. I I watched this movie after a day where I had... I worked and then I went to my friend's wedding, which was all fun and sort of exhausting by the end of it and just being able to sit down with with some marmalade and sweet cgi bears just just really
0: special emmet flop or bop total bop it's really sweet it's genuinely exciting i was thinking about like how much more exciting and thrilling the action is in this than in either of the last two jurassic park movies (laughs) <laughs> and like how much more real everything looks. Like the, the effects in this are so much more practical effects. It just looks like the bear is the only thing that's like CG. Mm-hmm. It's it's super cool. Wade, flopper bop.
1: Oh, an absolute bop. I thought this was like a perfect movie, basically. I loved it so much. Just from like every facet you could imagine. Like I think it's such a good story. All of the performances are so good. It's this, like, very touching and, like, really well thought out metaphor for immigration, which I think is so well done. And also, like, it has, like, one of the highest joke densities of any comedy I've ever seen. In every scene, there are, like, so many jokes going on in, like, every frame. At one point, they walk into the train station and there are adverts for fake plays going on (laughs) and one of them just says the national theater of london presents damned by despair
2: (laughs) most of my notes for this movie are just writing down different jokes that were very good
0: (laughs) yes it's all
2: sorts of jokes dude there's a lot of like physical comedy of just stuff Mm -hmm. going wrong And there are so many great puns and just so many funny situations and performances truly just packed to the brim with all types of comedy.
0: And when the physical comedy kicks in, the score goes off into that frantic jazz. Jazz. The
2: score in this movie is so good. Mm Mm-hmm. The coolest thing about the the score for me was the orchestration, the arrangement specifically. It's a lot of sort of bright like winds and strings, and just feels it reminded me a lot of what I've heard of the Link's Awakening soundtrack, the new one. Oh, wow. it's pretty simple melodies and and everything kind of harmonically, but just the arrangement is very childlike
1: or exciting. I wouldn't get the reference, although he played all of Link's Awakening because he plays his games on mute. What he listens to uh, political podcasts over all of those Zelda games as he plays.
2: Oh man, that's what you were listening to for all 540 hours of Breath of the Wild. Um, that many political podcasts.
0: I mean, quite possibly. Now it's D and D podcasts, which is slightly more healthy. So that's uh, that feels better.
2: Oh man, what are you listening to? Which one?
0: I've been on the Elder Morn series of uh, Not Another D&D Podcast for a while. I've been thinking about doing it sometime. Yeah, you should go for it. You know, it's really good. There's the uh, Dimension 20. The one that they did that's like Lord of the Rings based is really very funny and a good introduction because it's only like six or eight episodes. The, that
2: is the problem with all of them is they're all several years long, much like D&D
0: itself. yeah. Yeah, it's so much fun, though.
2: So we're talking about Paddington 3, the tabletop RPG that continues (laughs) the story of Paddington
1: 2. Okay, I'm into it. I do want to say that a movie tie-in video game, Paddington Adventures in London, was released for the Nintendo 3DS in 2015. Whoa. Whoa. Zane, do you have (laughs) Paddington Adventures in London?
2: I do not, but I'll have to now. I can't believe I was in a GameStop today and didn't and didn't look for it.
0: Okay, wait, I've got a question for you though. What's the behind the scenes drama on this? The biggest
1: behind the scenes drama, the biggest thing with this movie is that Paddington was originally played by Colin Firth, and he was like the first cast member announced for the whole series and was in it all the way up until pretty close to it coming out and then he was like my voice just doesn't work and he himself dropped out of it. And then Whoa. they replaced him with Ben Wishow.
2: Uh who does just so well in it.
1: Yeah, it's such a good performance. I think it would be a very different movie with Colin Firth.
2: It's such a such a warm performance, mm. specifically. Does just kind of sound like what you would expect a young bear in a in a British children's book to sound like.
0: Yeah.
1: Other, yeah, what else, Zane, what all did you like about this first panic?
2: For a movie that is mostly just jokes and physical comedy, I guess not just, but like for that's happening the whole time, it does not waste any time in getting the plot started. Because you see, the movie starts out in bare utopia with a whole complex marmalade machine running in the in the jungles of Peru. And 10 minutes into the movie... Paddington's entire home just gets like destroyed and that's just like this movie starts as a disaster film very briefly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which was shocking to me I was so I was so scared and confused Uh, and then it just it just keeps going and it's so sweet. I actually, actually, before we talk about jokes, we should talk about the world of Paddington and how it interacts with bears being a thing. Yes. Because this is something I wanted to parse through with you guys. Because we know Paddington's specific species of bears from Darkest Peru are the only animals that can speak English.
1: Yes, that we know of.
2: That we know of there when he was discovered that was like a big that was sort of the thing but also no one in london is that surprised to see him walking around like he's just in the train station and people are just like, oh, it's a bear. And then he starts talking and Mr. Brown says, like, he just wants your money. Like just talks about him like a dude. <laughs> and that is like that specific, oh, just get into it. It doesn't matter is, is like what makes the movie work so well. Because it's, I mean, it's like a children's book. It's just, you're sort of in it for the ride. It's just such a, such a shocking world, the way that they interact with him
1: obviously there's a ton of animation work in this, but it really does look like the only thing animated in the entire world is Paddington. Like Mm. it is so well-crafted in the visuals and I feel like that aids to it too because since nothing else looks unreal combined with the way that everyone treats Paddington, you're kind of like, oh, that's just how Paddington looks. Like Paddington is a character in the real world who looks like he's animated, but nothing else is animated. So that makes sense. You know, like, I think it just causes you, you as well as the people in the world to like accept him and go along with the movie in a way that a lot of these hybrids don't.
2: Yeah. Thinking about the performances in this movie as people reacting to nothing or to like a voice line off screen or whatever is crazy. Because it does feel so genuine, like you kind of forget that that is a CGI bear and they, they aren't talking to anyone.
0: I feel like they really learned the lessons of Artemis Fowl and brought that to bear on the craftsmanship in this film. Especially, like you said, the the actors. I think the mom, <laughs> mom does a really good job of acting against a Paddington that's not there.
1: I think all of them do. Both of these films are produced by David Heyman, who Mm -hmm. is the producer of the Harry Potter films. And these films really reminded me of those. Obviously they share a lot of cast members, but in that same way where like all of the bit parts are casually played by like Britain's best character actors, like all of the people who pop up for like three lines in this, you're like, oh, that's one of the best theater actors in the United Kingdom that also really adds to both like the comedy and the sort of whimsical feel of it.
2: The Harry Potter thing reminds me, I've been playing through the Lego Harry Potter games with my girlfriend. And something we've talked about is the thing that those games get right about the world of Harry Potter that like the movies don't totally get across is just how everything can kill you. Like how sort of ridiculous the world is and like students are just kind of dying left and right or like would have to be with everything in, in Hogwarts. And this movie, not in terms of open data danger but just of like how bonkers everything is it gets that across in the way a lego game does whenever like paddington messes something up he really messes something up Mm -hmm. he
1: floods their entire house with like the shining (laughs) shot of of the walls of water coming out of the door something i
2: thought about in this movie is oftentimes in movies when they're not like big sort of citywide destruction because i guess i'm I don't know, desensitized to that at this point. But like small stuff, like uh, I never watched this movie, but the Venom 2 trailer where the the like breakfast gets goes all over, that trailer stressed me out so much because like I, I've i had breakfast spilled before and I don't want that. And I can think about like what it would be like to clean that up. In this movie, I just like things that would normally stress me out that were happening were just, just so sweet because it's Paddington. He just, he means so well. He's trying so hard.
0: Yeah, it's a really endearing, physically comic performance that I feel like you don't see a lot of, especially not in like a live action movie. And I know he's an animated character, but everybody else reacting to him is live action and like... Some of those stunts look like they're live action stunts with also CGI in them, you know, you know what I mean? So to me like it's an action movie as much as it is a family comedy just because of the the complexity of so many of the hijinks that he gets up to. Like, the way that they would have to plot those scenes out is, is like a complex chase sequence or something.
2: This movie also, like many an action movie, uh, has the Mission Impossible title music in it <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredible musical cue.
1: <laughs> there are so many great musical cues in this. I mean, as you said, like, the score is so good. Then you've got the band, which is so funny and so cool and very much like keying into the whole immigration theme. And then they've got all these needle drops, like the hello is it me you're looking for (laughs) (laughs) and the flashback stuff and the Mission Impossible. Like, it's just like every type of joke operating at the same time. Like they are these elaborate vaudeville slapstick comedy set pieces but then it's also like wordplay and performance jokes and verbal jokes and musical cues and everything yeah
2: maya while we were watching this said uh this whole movie is a rube goldberg machine which stuck with me because that is like the the physical comedy is sort of how everything goes down but sort of just everything tumbles together and connects and sets itself off The plot and the music and the jokes, it's just all sort of happening the whole time. You can track how it gets from point A to B. It never feels overwhelming at all.
1: Well, we do have a lot to get through. So I'm going to throw us into MVP. MVP OTP, our most valuable player other than Paddington. I'm taking our protagonist Paddington by Ben Wishaw off the board. But other than that, every character in this delightful film is up for grabs. Uh, Zane, who's your MVP uh, this is
2: a little tough. It's easier for me for the second one. I think it's got to be Peter Capaldi. Uh, I forget oh. his character's name, but he's the cranky next door neighbor,
1: Mr. Curry. Is his
2: name Mr. Curry, who just has a major crush on Nicole Kidman and becomes fully under her grasp. And just I don't know. I was so as a uh, a person who watched Doctor Who in middle school, I was very excited to see him around. He has such a specific, like, upset energy on screen that's always real exciting for me. And especially, like, him on the same screen as the sweetest CGI bear you've ever seen. He really sold me.
1: He has the incredible line where Nicole Kidman compliments something at his house and he goes, I inherited it from my mother. A very distant woman. (laughs) (laughs) I just keep continuing.
0: (laughs) Uh, Emmett is your MVP. This is really a difficult movie to choose in. Good mm-hmm. lord. It's gotta be the crazy, uh, museum owner, though. I mean, his accent is just, just past unhinged. Like, it's just on, like, the unhinged side. The antique shop dude. Yeah, of, like, fun. Uh-huh. It's, like, just on the other side of, of wherever would make sense for it to be. And you're like, whoa and it's it's good wait who's your mvp
1: well i had a bunch and you guys have not taken any of them which i was hoping you Uh would to make it easier on me i think i've got to give it to nicole kidman as the bad guy (laughs) i mean she's just so good in this movie she's insane her
2: costume in
1: this film. She looks like she stepped right off of Speed Racer and directly onto the
0: set. So good. When the guy's like, is he endangered? And she says, he is now.
1: <laughs> yeah. When someone calls her and she picks up a gigantic bone and holds it <laughs> to her ear and then she says oops and puts it down and grabs the phone. <laughs> I don't know. She's off the chain. I think she makes the movie work because she is like this pure evil (laughs) counterparting the innate goodness of Paddington. I read that she took this because she wanted a movie that she could finally show her children. It was the first appropriate movie. She should show her kids. And then they were just terrified of her.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. I was shocked and laughing every time every time she was on screen.
1: I do want to give a shout out. I think all of the family is really great, but especially both of the parents.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: Are kind of like the co-leads of the movie along with Paddington. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, crazy watching watching this movie, having the memory of seeing Shape of Water, thinking of the mom interacting with a CGI character in that movie and how, how different it is to the mom interacting with a CGI character in this movie.
0: Or is it? See, this is where the truth comes out, people. Okay, cover your ears if you're not ready to hear the filthy, filthy truth about Paddington.
2: emmett has raised his eyebrows and offered no further comment
1: speaking about both the parents and the filthy filthy truth we should mention that there was a controversy at the release of this film british board of film classification rated it pg for mild sex references for the scene in which um, the dad cross dresses as the maid to um steal the thing. Oh, huh. Is there a specific line that is
2: a sex reference in that, or is it just I don't think so. Just the concept.
1: <laughs> I feel like it was just the concept they were reacting to.
0: That guy's reprise in the second movie, the guy from that scene, is a wonderful, wonderful reprise moment.
1: Okay, Zane, final thoughts, any final thoughts on the first Paddington? Let's see,
2: I have a couple jokes just to, to listen, just a couple. Oh, the, the big one for me was The Orphanage. Uh, I was laughing for, I think, literally two minutes straight after this. I had to pause the movie and, and rewind it some. Because Paddington, the, the Brown family is telling him that they can't keep him. He says, what are you going to send me to an orphanage? And then it hard shifts to a a shot of Arkham Asylum with a like big gate that says orphanage, and it's lightning, and it's dark, and there's spooky music. And then it just cuts right back. And they say, no, no, it's just a place for people who are children and don't have parents and it's run by the government. And then it flashes immediately back and has that written on the (laughs) gate. and it's so good I I thought that was good I thought uh, they, they mentioned that the daughter is wants to be a, a businesswoman and that she's learning Chinese for business and then it cuts to her reading a textbook that says <laughs> Chinese for business
1: and then the phrase that she's learning in Chinese is I have been accused of insider trading and requiring legal <laughs> representation yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think just two other there's a very funny classic is that you god joke with uh I don't know I remember if it's Paddington or the dad that says it, but it's it's between those two.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Maybe my favorite well, I think the orphanage is my favorite, but my second favorite joke is in that scene we were talking about in the cross-dressing scene, Mr. Brown is complaining about having to wear the dress or whatever. Paddington says, You look very pretty, and the dad says, that's what they'll say in jail. <laughs> <laughs> which was just a shocking line for me.
1: Those—that's the only line I don't like. I feel like we gotta cut those jokes out.
2: Well, the the second movie expands on that, I guess.
1: <laughs> we, we haven't even mentioned the joke that makes the movie, which is dogs must be carried. Yeah. <laughs> <Where> Paddington <laughs> is was so terrified to go down an escalator. And he sees a sign that just say dogs must be carried, you know, meaning if you have a dog, you have to carry it. And he goes and steals someone's dog to carry it to give him the bravery to ride down the escalator.
0: That is so much fun, too. And that's a weird-looking little dog. Emmett,
1: final thoughts?
0: Just a really good movie. I don't think I've seen a movie that was this much fun since, what, like, Trolls 2 World Tour? What are we talking? Years. Years mm-hmm. it's been. hmm Wow. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Wade? I have to say that this
1: movie points out that the Natural History Museum is barbaric. And I've got to say, it is barbaric. I went last weekend to the American Natural History Museum here in Central Park, and I'm a big museum lover, big advocate of museums. Some of the stuff is cool, like the dinosaur bones are cool, but then there are all these sections that are just like dioramas, basically, of animals, but not like old animals, like real animals that exist today, and it's like a taxidermy version of them set up in a diorama in a cage. So it looks like you're at a zoo, like looking into a little display where the animal is, but it's just like a stuffed version, but it's not like a dead, extinct animal that has been reproduced. It's like a llama from another country. Mm. And there are like floors of this at the Natural History Museum. So I have to say that I agree with this movie's message of being anti whatever that is. Wow. Yeah, that is spooky. Yeah, I would just say this movie is great. One of the best movies I've seen, one of the best movies I've seen recently. I loved it so much. Uh, My only criticism of it, and this is not the movie's fault, but unfortunately, I did see Hereditary before I saw Paddington. So when we talk about addicts that have dioramas of the house inside them that open up to show tiny little versions of the people living in the house inside the diorama <laughs> house, I already have preconceived notions about how I feel about that. So, unfortunately, I cannot hang with it when it occurs in this movie, even though it came out three years before Hereditary Little tiny diorama houses of your own house in the attic have been ruined for me for life. I'm
2: not certain this movie is aiming for the same demographic of people (laughs) that watch Hereditary.
1: Well, it has reached it, so what can I say? Okay, now it is time for Bums the Word, our quiz game, where I have 10 movies that I'll give hints about. Whoever guesses the movie first gets a point. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Today, we are playing the top 10 highest grossing movies of Nicole Kidman's career. Oh,
2: man. When I saw her on the cast list, I looked up what movies I had seen her in, and I think just two. (laughs) So this might not go well for me.
1: Some of these might be a little rough. I had at least heard of all of these movies, but there are a couple I don't think I would get. But most of these are big hits. You guys know almost all of these movies. We're starting in opposite order. So film number one is the 10th highest grossing, working our way down until the final film will be her highest grossing film. The first one on the call sheet, her 10th highest grossing film. This is a 2003 war film. It's based on a novel. It's sort of a big, prestige Oscar movie, and it is set in the American Civil War. Is it Atonement? It is not Atonement.
0: Is it Scarlet Tide, Scarlet Mountain, Red Mountain?
1: Oh, okay. I think you know what it is. That's not the title, but you're like Crimson circling Tide,
2: it. Uh, Red
1: Tide. No, no, no. It's the mountain isn't red. It's something else. Cold Mountain. Yes, that's correct. Cold Mountain. Uh, her ninth highest-grossing film. This is a 2001 musical. It's not adapted from anything. It's an original musical. It's by sort of a big, flashy, flamboyant director who we talk about on the pod. We talk about doing sometimes on the pod.
0: Moulin Rouge. That is correct. That is Moulin Rouge. I thought that was based on Rent. <laughs> it is very similar. <laughs> it's a very similar plot. Okay, this next one.
1: This is a movie I really like, but I would say this is the hardest. It's a a two thousand one Spanish horror film.
0: Is it the Orphanage?
1: No, it's a Gothic horror film. It's all set in a house in like a big estate mansion where creepy things are happening.
2: Mm, I'm doing very poorly this round. Any hints about about the title?
1: The title refers to. A group of people who are the antagonists of the movie. The Strangers?
2: The Witches.
1: Not not far from The Strangers.
0: The Others? Yes. Rare. It is The Others. A movie whose DVD case I can picture, but have never seen.
1: Pretty good. I watched it. It was a big inspiration for Lost, so I remember watching it back in those days, and it's pretty good. Okay. Uh, Next highest grossing. This is a 2011 romantic comedy, a classic rom com. It's a remake of a film with a different name. The main couple, the main romantic comedic couple, is Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. Whoa. And Nicole Kidman is, I guess, playing third build here. Uh,
2: is it Pixels starring Adam Sandler?
0: No. There's not a chance. <laughs>
1: this movie also stars dave matthews of the dave matthews band (laughs) does it have a plot you know it's a rom-com uh they're on a beach and nicole
0: kidman's in it too
1: yes the tagline for this movie on the poster is what if a little lie just kept getting bigger All pass
0: the
2: affair
1: The title is sort of what you might say, a common phrase, what you might say to someone who is doubting some sort of scheme you are pulling. Don't worry about it.
2: I've got it under control. Is that it's the title?
1: all good. These are in the right um, in the right ball count. We've already run out of time, so I'm just going to uh, to call this one. This film is Just Go With It.
0: Just Go there, With It, man.
1: I have not heard of it. Oh, the sixth highest-grossing film starring Nicole Kidman is an epic drama.
0: It's Australia by Baz Luhrmann, also. Yeah, it is. It's Australia. Oh, Romance. A wartime, (laughs) a wartime epic of staggering proportions. I believe
1: this is one of Emmett's favorite movies.
0: It is maybe, if not my favorite movie of all time. It has everything. Wizard of Oz, Stampedes, Nicole Kidman, Hugh Jackman, Betrayal, Murder, everything.
1: Okay, film number five is a 2015 comedy based on a British novel. Is it Paddington? Yes. And that is one point for Zane for Paddington. All right. Fourth highest grossing. This is a 1995 threequel, as Emmett is wont to say. It's the third of four in a popular series from the 80s and 90s, although many of the main characters are played by different actors in this one than the first two.
2: Third of four in the 80s and 90s? Yes. What genre did you say? I didn't. Okay, <laughs> what genre would you
1: say? It's a superhero film. Oh, is it a Batman Forever it is Batman Forever. Wow! Mm. Who
0: does she play in Batman Forever?
1: I will give anyone an extra point if you can successfully name the character she plays in Batman Forever.
2: She's like a new character, isn't she? She's like the love interest they made up for it. Uh huh. I I don't I don't I don't know her name.
1: She plays Doctor Chase Meridian. <laughs> of course. Wow. The classic, that old Batman classic, Chase Meridian. Okay. Third highest grossing film. This is a 2007 fantasy film directed by a director we have covered on the podcast. Not as a miniseries, but we have covered another one of his films. It's a man. This is another one adapted from a British young adult's children's novel.
2: It's a standalone movie. It's not. Oh no! Is this the? Is this a sequel or a standalone?
1: This was meant to be the first film in a series, but it did so poorly that this is the only one. Okay,
0: what year is it?
1: Two thousand seven.
0: Was she in Aragon?
1: No. Oh no! No no no! The
0: uh, the Golden Compass.
1: Yes, that is correct. Ah. The Golden Compass. Uh, And I read, in fact, that Framestone, who are the visual effects company who created Paddington in both of these movies, got their start creating the polar bears in The Golden Compass. Wow.
0: Those are pretty good.
1: Okay, film, second highest grossing film starring Nicole Kidman. This is a 2006 animated musical directed by a famous action director. This is another movie that might have fur because it is about anthropomorphic Animals. Oh,
0: 2006? Is it flushed away?
1: It's not flushed away.
2: Is it a shark Tale? Nope. Is it a, is it a Disney or is it a, a not a Disney?
1: No, it is a Warner Brothers picture. Okay. This is from a very famous director who has a very small filmography of mostly adult action movies and then a couple weird kids movies thrown in. Uh, this film ha- also got a sequel in 2011. Oh man, this is tough. A musical, singing and dancing animals.
2: Emmett, Emmett, I, I have nothing. I've
0: got nothing here. here. This is
1: the fourth non-Disney or Pixar film to win the Academy Award for Best Animated. So Fincher. not Barnyard. <laughs> no, is popular. It's a big hit, huge hit. This movie, uh ants. All of the main cast are animals, but there are live-action humans featured in some scenes. Stort little. This film takes place in Antarctica.
0: Wait, is this Happy Feet?
1: It is Happy Feet. <laughs>
2: okay, right. That's by um, Mad Max dude, right? I'm blanking yes. on
1: his name. George Miller's Happy Feet.
0: God. We need to listen to that little kid's heart song again. That stuff. <laughs> That's from the second that one. That stuff kills me every time. <laughs>
1: is
2: she one of the penguins or is she one
0: of the humans? No, she's, she's one of the penguins.
1: She's one of the penguins. The humans are like people in the background watching mm-hmm. penguins in a tank at a museum.
0: Like those Right. Are... Not characters.
1: Okay. And finally, the highest grossing film. Is it Aquaman? It is Aquaman. <laughs> <Damn>. Cool. <laughs> Wow. That was the only one I knew. Well, I would say actually more res- a more respectable turnout than I may seem here. I've got six. Uh, well, I've got seven Emmett to four from Zane. Uh, okay, I'll take, I'll it. take it. That's all right. And now, as we are pretty much at time for the whole episode, <laughs> I'm throwing it over to Emmett to talk about Paddington 2, a.k.a. the Great Barapest Hotel. <laughs> I don't know who him it is. This is Sleazy E, and we're going to do a lightning round version.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, 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 welcome (laughs) to (laughs) to Paddington 2 with Sleazy E. It's time to do a lightning round of Cinema Bums. All right, so this was uh, directed by Paul King. It's his third film written by Paul King and Simon Farnaby. His role on Horrible Histories goes on to write The Phantom of the Opera and Wonka. Score by Dario Marianelli, Joe Wright's composer, Pride and Prejudice, Atonement. Runs one hour, 44 minutes. Released November 10th, 2017 by Studio Canal in the UK and January 12th, 2018 by Warner Bros. in the US. Budget of $40 million, a box office of 228 million dollars critically acclaimed 88 percent on metacritic nominated for best british film best adapted screenplay and best supporting actor for grant at the baftas wait what would be your very brief summary of this movie <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: my god the reversal you pulled on me <laughs> First of all, shocking to hear how fast those stats can go. Truly sobering, sobering moment for me. I just want to shout out, as I've mentioned, two writers on this film. They wrote it together. Paul King, writer, director of both. And Simon Farnaby, who wrote it with him, is the man who plays the weird, pervy security guard in both of these movies. He also wrote this movie. (laughs) He wrote
2: that character just for himself. That's (laughs)
0: That's
1: so funny. Okay, Paddington 2, here we go. The first 20 minutes are what you would expect from a sequel from Paddington. The whole family is back. They each got their own little tiny thing that gets set up that they're dealing with. Paddington is having more slapstick escapades, but there's a little more CGI involved this time. He wants to buy a birthday present for his Aunt Lucy, who still lives in darkest Peru, and is turning 100 Unfortunately, the birthday present he wants to buy a pop-up book is stolen by a struggling actor and Paddington's namer, Phoenix Buchanan, played by Hugh Grant, who knows that the pop-up book is secretly a treasure map, steals it, frames Paddington, who gets arrested and sent to jail. That's the first 20 minutes. Now for the next hour... All of the character plot goes out the window and you've got three things going on. You've got these truly incredible scenes of Hugh Grant hamming it up in probably the best performance ever (laughs) given by anyone as he pretends to be a lot of different acting roles to follow this treasure map. You've got Paddington in prison, slowly warming the heart of all the other prisoners with his goodness. And you've got the family who are hanging up posters. Now, in the last 20 minutes... It's basically the greatest third act of all time where everything suddenly comes back together and it's a huge train chase. Phoenix Buchanan is on one of the trains trying to steal the gold. Meanwhile, the family and Paddington was broken out from prison and maybe the inmates who helped him broke out and then abandoned him, will they be good? Maybe the community members, do they like him? Were they turned on him? Will it all come together? spoiler alert, in the end, it does all come together, but they can't possibly send the thing to Aunt Lucy in time because it is her birthday. What will happen? Oh, all the community has pitched in and raised enough money and they've brought Aunt Lucy herself to London and Paddington gives her a big hug and everyone weeps openly. And the credits roll, and then you see a wonderful performance of Hugh Grant uh doing the song from Follies in prison with all the rest of the inmates. Paddington two hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> close the book. Yeah.
0: How could how could it be how could it possibly be better, right? Zane, flopperbot, Paddington two uh absolute bop real real
1: good real good bop for bop? a bop for sure especially the last 30 minutes i think are incredible but i i do have big qualms with this movie and mm. don't like it nearly as much as the first mm. one
2: i i feel the same actually i had a couple of specific things i wanted to bring up that yeah. that held it back for me
0: mm.
1: Emmett, flop or bop
0: it's a bop uh i agree that it is not quite the same in quality is the first one. I think it's a little slower.
1: It's ten minutes longer. What you feel. And it doesn't feel yeah. as like
0: densely packed with jokes and like action happening every moment. But it is, like you said, Hugh Grant playing one of the most hilarious villains of all time. Everyone putting in great performances.
2: Hugh Grant is just playing actual Jeff Goldblum in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> just just Jeff Goldblum hanging out. <laughs>
1: Uh, did you love all this stuff, Emmett, where he's among the costumes of all the famous roles he plays, and he's speaking to them, uh-huh. so he's speaking to Macbeth and Hamlet and Perot. Yeah.
2: yeah, I loved that. How did the two of you feel about the lesson that this movie gave us of, quote, actors are some of the most evil, devious people <laughs> on the planet? <laughs> Unquote. I believe it.
1: A great line delivered by mrs weasley directly to the camera <laughs> Truly,
0: really so she's so good in both of these oh my god Incredible. Mm-hmm. yeah i think especially she
1: oh no she's so good in the first one with the drunk scene yeah. too though where she's trying to distract the guy that is, she's really <laughs> great yeah, in that was a, the
0: jaw-dropping moment to me when the second bottle of whiskey comes out i was like this movie has taken a turn yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what is it? What is it for y'all about this movie uh, that doesn't quite stack up? Or what are the things you'd like to address about this?
2: Well, I have a couple of things. The length was sort of a big difference for me. It felt more actiony and sort of more kind of stuff happening rather than just the jokes. It wasn't quite as well paced, I thought. But the big thing for me, which was maybe just watching them in in such quick succession. The like central conflict of this movie of Paddington getting framed for chasing after someone who stole something is in the first movie. Also, he like steals a wallet from the antique shop and then runs Mm -hmm. off and Paddington runs after him because he thinks that he lost his wallet because the dude dropped someone else's wallet and then accidentally becomes a cop is a cop and chases him down and arrests him. (laughs) with a very good gps joke like it was the same thing uh and i watched that and i was like oh they're just doing the same joke as the last movie and then it wasn't a joke and it was just a a whole plot detail which i guess is maybe kind of nitpicky and probably wouldn't feel weird if i watched them in in 2015 and then 2018 or whatever that like really got to me and I think the first one just it goes down so easy. Like I can't think of a time ever where I wouldn't want to watch the first one. I could see like I don't know between the extra ten minutes and a little more of the the sort of plotting stuff, just not really wanting to to go through the second one.
1: For me, this is very much the Dark Knight to Paddington's Batman Begins. Mm in that they have forgotten about the main character and made the movie about a truly, like, all-time great villain performance. Because mm. I do think that, like, Hugh Grant's work in this is incredible. He's so good. And that's, like, the best thing in the movie. And for how much I love the last 20 minutes, my, like, big thing about this movie is that I feel like it has turned Paddington into a static character. Like, he is now just, like a pinnacle of goodness who can only teach things to other people and cannot learn Mm -hmm. any lessons Mm -hmm. himself where in the first movie he does both. He learns very touching message and goes on this incredible arc while still inspiring goodness in other people around him with his lovely manners and politeness and the lessons he learned from aunt Lucy in this film. Like he doesn't, there's no arc. There's just plot. There's just plot that is done to Paddington. And I feel the same way about the family who really like make the first movie for me. And in this movie, like there are like three minutes where they set up their arcs at the beginning of the movie and then they pay them each off at the end of the movie. And everything in between that feels like it could be any character whatsoever doing the things they do. You don't really get their personalities in the same way as the first one. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think that's maybe for me what I mean by sort of more plotting and and the pacing. There's not as much to latch on to in the same way. It is kind of stuff happening as opposed to sort of making you feel specific things. I don't know, just not quite as as like polished and smart as the first one. Yeah. Emmett, what are you what's your
0: comparison of the two movies? I like the first one better. I think it's quicker and I think it's more to the point. I think the stakes are a little bit easier to get into in the first one, too, because it's, like, really obvious he's, like, losing his home, and it's obvious, like, there's nothing he could have done about that. In this movie, it's so arbitrary that he gets arrested for this crime, which I guess is, like, kind of part of the point, but it is also does, like, as you said, like kind of make him a static character. Because it wasn't any real fault of his that he got arrested. So for the movie's comment on, like, false arrest, that works. But for a character's growth, like, there should have been some real reason... Like, some lesson that he learns from having chased after that guy or something, but there doesn't really seem to be one. I mean, like, the story about a person who's wrongly accused should start with that person, like, believing very heavily in the law, you know? Yeah. And then, like, having their mind changed about that. But Paddington doesn't have any, like, stance on that. So when he is wrongfully accused...
1: Are you describing the plot of Richard Jewell? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm saying like, maybe there's some elements of the original that I think they pulled off better.
2: (laughs) In addition to the getting chased and robbery thing, the like villain family lineage thing was sort of the same in this, which was another reason why it wasn't, it like wasn't as exciting for me, because even in the first one, you sort of if you're just paying attention to the plot threads, you can kind of guess pretty quickly that that's what's going on. And so when they did it again of this sort of exposition of the, the ancestor of the villain, I don't know, didn't feel like it added anything to the, to the movie, really, other than just sort of lore. But also, I don't know if there's other examples of this, but just the fact that there were two was very weird to me. Both this movie and Muppets Most Wanted feature a, like, animated children's character being sent to jail wrongfully and then just living there for a while. And that, I just don't know why... I I don't know if either of you guys have seen Muppets Most Wanted.
1: We have. Are you saying this movie should have had an evil Paddington twin who replaces Paddington in the real world and causes (laughs) havoc while good Paddington is in jail?
0: I'm afraid to tell you guys that Paddington 3 already exists. It's called Paddington 3 Revenant. And sadly, Paddington meets his end in that one.
1: (laughs) Well, let's talk about let's talk about the future of the series. As you said, it first of all, I want to call out there is a CGI animated series called The Adventures of Paddington that okay. started in 2019. It's Ben Wishaw voicing Paddington in those two, although it is in like I think a different canon. But those are on Paramount Plus. The writers of that show, John Foster and James Lamont, are the two writing Paddington Three which currently does not have a director, but it's them and Mark Burton, uh, who is uh, like an Aardman writer. He's the guy who wrote Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit, Sean the Sheep. So they're the ones writing Hmm. Paddington 3, which I believe is supposed to film this year. Uh, Meanwhile, Paul King and Simon Farnaby passed on doing Paddington 3 in favor of, of doing Wonka, which was their idea, this new live action musical that's about a young Willy Wonka starring Timothy Chalamet as young Willy himself.
0: Interesting. Yeah,
2: I wish they did Paddington 3. I just think Paddington 3 would be better.
1: I don't know. I feel like I had always heard, I'd heard all that stuff about Wonka and I was like, yeah, that's that's so dumb. And then when I watched the first Paddington, I was like, yeah, that Wonka movie is probably going to be the best movie ever made. True. Because these guys <laughs> are such good writers fair, they're such Paul King is such an incredible director both of these movies have like yeah. the magic you know more than like any other movie you see like the whimsy and the magic and i feel like yeah that movie is probably going to be incredibly good
2: and i would love Paul King to have like a like a Disney Plus show or something just something where he can really tell a story over a longer period I feel like giving him, like, a like an unbeatable Squirrel Girl show or something like that, something on the fringes of uh, of the MCU, I think he deserves it.
0: So, what is the cultural context of this? Specifically, Paddington 2 is the greatest film of all time context.
1: Uh, well, that comes from the fact that the Dread Rotten Tomatoes, who we normally don't like to talk about on this podcast, For a long time, the best reviewed film with a perfect 100% score was Citizen Kane. In 2021, they uncovered uh, a negative review of Citizen Kane from when it came out and registered it with Rotten Tomatoes, which caused it to drop down to 99%. It was overtaken by Paddington 2 as being the best reviewed film on the site and then a few months later, a negative review of Paddington 2 from 2017 was added, which dropped it down to 99%. And now the best reviewed film of all time on Rotten Tomatoes is Leave No Trace from 2018.
0: A movie I have never heard of. Which, of course, no one's ever heard of it. Has left no trace.
1: I think it's really weird that Mr. Curry is like cool with him and saves his life at the end of the first movie, and then in this movie his arc is back to being doesn't like Paddington again. That's a strange thing to me. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it did read as weird to me, but all of the jokes of him with the safety patrol jacket and the like billboard that says, <laughs> "What he says, I've I've moved the neighborhood <laughs> panic level to absolute pandemonium." That's just really got me. So I'll, I'll let it slide.
1: The little boy is also so much older in this one that at first I was like, oh, there's no way that's the same kid. And then I was like, why would they recast him with someone who looks nothing like him? It has to be him. <laughs>
2: I thought he was a different dude for most of the movie just because he
1: does look so different. Yeah, and I guess just the other cultural context thing is like, the you know, the stuff about the prison industrial complex and all of the prison stuff, which is mm. very affecting in this movie and very well done. And I feel like anytime... Uh, we've definitely had to on the podcast before. Anytime we watch these movies about prison, I'm just always like, it's insane that we do this to people.
2: I mean, the entire X-Men series was about kids in cages and also was imprisoning you at the time. So that is where the
0: podcast started. It's interesting that you say this because I think that theme might resurface for our uh, quiz this evening. But oh oh, I got, got you all a question real quick. First, who is your MVP of Paddington 2 other than a Paddington Bear himself?
2: I'm sorry for taking this, but it's got to be Hugh Grant. He mm. just... Just is incredible. I loved him so much. He's in the courtroom deciding if uh, if Paddington's going to go to jail or not. And he says, prison is no laughing matter. And I should know. I spent three years in Les Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does a little smile and the entire courtroom laughs. It's never just how he acts, but how everyone interacts with him. Just such such a good performance.
1: About uh, when he says, Exit bear, pursued by an actor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't that a callback even to the first movie where they have the Shakespeare line quoted Paddington mm-hmm. like it comes through? So it's like works on so many different levels. God, they're good.
1: Okay, my MVP in this one, in turn, would be... Old Brendan Gleason has Knuckles McGinty. A truly <laughs> great addition to this movie. This movie just lets him be ten feet tall. Just an absolute unit of a man. He's so good. He's such a rough presence. He's such a good foil with Paddington. He has moments of real acting in this movie, like real tortured inner stuff as he talks about his upbringing and as he stares out the the seaplane window wondering if he's made the right decision. Maybe the most hype moment in any movie ever is where you've watched the horrible, traumatizing scene of Paddington stuck in the thing, drowning, and he just shakes his head no to the mom as the saying, like, it's over, I'm sorry, and it's so sad, and then you just see, like, a great whale, (laughs) the mass of Brendan Gleeson hit the ocean and starts swimming toward him to save him. And it's the most exciting thing in any movie. And I think that's all because of Brendan Gleason's incredible physicality and incredible vocal performance saying, Mama laid.
0: When he says, I didn't do nothing for nobody for nothing. <laughs> it's,
1: <gosh.
0: laughs> yeah, so it's so good. A, so
2: good. Knuckles uh, spelled <laughs> N U C K L E apostrophe S. <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
1: so hardcore just a tattoo of an apostrophe on one of your fingers (laughs) emma who's your mvp
0: it's gotta be the mom she's in that scene Mm. she is like up in that scene the shape of water wishes it could be this movie she is there she's with her lover She's watching him drown. She's saying, I've known you, Richard Jewell, since you were a man. Before that, witch put a curse on you in the cutscene from Artemis Fowl. I have loved you all this time, and I'm not going to let you drown on me now. Even if you come back as a fishman, I'll still love you. And it's it's really just all there, so... I think she's. I think she's the thing that hold, <laughs> ties this whole thing together.
1: It's such simple, like setup payoff stuff. I mean, I really, honestly do think it's like underwritten. But like at the end, when all of the family gets to do their thing, when Jonathan gets to drive the train, and the sister gets to mm-hmm. recognize the thing from the newspaper, and old Daddy Cool has to <laughs> throw the ball at just the right time you know, leading up to her just diving off of the bridge into the lake to save Paddington is also good. Something that I noticed from,
0: of like both of these is that the realistic version of them kills the villain and it nods to that and then like lets the villain live because it's a cartoon version of the world. But like, like Nicole Kidman gets knocked off the this 200 foot tall roof and you have a moment of believing that she got knocked off the roof and is dead and then she's like hanging on the flagpole and with Hugh Grant he's gets what looks like he should be knocked out the back of a train that's going by at several hundred miles an hour and like flung out on the tracks but instead he falls into the train which doesn't make physics sense but makes us feel better because we don't have to see Hugh Grant be killed for his villainous shenanigans so I think that's pretty cool.
2: Is like a very specific shot him falling in words when being hit on the head. It was surprising to me. You mentioned Daddy Cool and we would be remiss to not mention I think this was in the second one. They blend together a little bit. It might have been in the first. But when they're talking about how Mr. Brown used to be cool and then he had kids and they show they like drive to the hospital in like on like the motorcycle and then he walks in, or it might be when he gets his job. That's in
1: one. This is in one. But yes. Is that
2: in one? Okay. He walks
1: into the hospital,
2: and then with, like, the full, the aviators, the motorcycle, and then he walks out and has, like, a, like, station wagon and is wearing an ill-fitting suit, (laughs) and is just a totally different person. It's such a good visual gag.
1: And speaking to the to the end of Nicole Kidman, I feel like good gag in that movie that totally encapsulates the themes of the second movie is where the judge says to Nicole Kidman, prison wouldn't do you any good. You're charged with community service. And then she screams. She's like, no, anything but that.
0: <laughs> do you have any final thoughts on Paddington 2 before we wrap up and do this cruise or actually, sorry, before we wrap up and do our updated ranking of the Remember the Name series.
2: My final thought for, I guess, just the, the Paddington series as a whole is uh, if you ever are feeling down or just have a couple minutes, just uh, load up the official Paddington Bear Twitter page. Because it's just tweets from Paddington himself. And they're all so sweet. There's just so many. I had a real busy rehearsal week this this week. And I, I just sat down and just let Paddington tell me things were going to be okay. It's a good time. Uh, and I guess my, my ranking is Paddington 1 at the top. And Paddington 2. And then Richard Jewell. And then Artemis Fowl.
1: Final thoughts. We talked about it a lot, but Hugh Grant is very good in this movie. I think the BAFTAs got it right and the Oscars got it wrong. We should have been best supporting actor for this performance is truly wonderful. Second thing, second of three things, the hard stare is so good. It's such a good Mm. plot mechanic. And I love that they don't overuse it. Like it's only once per movie does Paddington use the thing that can stop all foes dead in their tracks. (laughs) And neither time on the actual villain of the movie, which I think is interesting. And in general, I just want to say the plot of this movie is a very Apple and Onion plot. The TV show Apple and Onion, which is now on HBO Max in its entirety. It's a British animated show where all the episodes are 10 minutes long. It's very funny. It's a little more like biting and irreverent than this it's not like the warm tone but it's very similar british comedy and all of the plots for the episodes start with something like this where it's like we need to earn money to buy a birthday present and then they go off and like found a company and get super rich and learn a lesson about class relations and then go to prison and then have to work their way out and then buy the present in the end like all in the span of 10 minutes it's very Whoa. good and one of my favorite shows and the voice of onion is in this movie very briefly in the courtroom scene richard Ayoade is just one of the guys who presents something in the courtroom scene so wow. updated ranking number one paddington a little bit down paddington two a little bit down richard Jewell. a lot down <laughs> artemis fowl <laughs>
0: Emmet, final thoughts and ranking. These are good. My final thought is we should watch more kids' movies. Other than that, I would say my new ranking is Paddington 1 at the top, Paddington 2 after that, Richard Jewell, and then Artemis Fowl, just like both of you. Really, a series consistently better on the odd numbers or something. It's good. I'm excited to see where it goes next. <laughs> I hope that when we cover Paddington 3, The Revenant, and Paddington 4, Don't Look Up, that we will (laughs) (laughs) have lots to talk about. Until then, we're just going to have to settle with this quiz. Um, Today's quiz is pulled from the theme prison movies. I just typed in prison movies into Google. First movies from 2019. It's The Wives of New York Gangsters in Hell's Kitchen in the 1970s continue to operate their husband's oh. rackets after they're locked up in prison it stars a bunch of funny ladies but it is yeah. a, a grim and dark film
1: this is that really dark movie with melissa mccarthy and Dom gleason it's based on a vertigo comic
0: series and tiffany haddish and, yeah. and emily moss or elizabeth moss not emily moss elizabeth moss
1: I can't remember what it's called. Is it called The Something?
0: It is.
1: The thing I have in my head is The Outfit, but I know that's not
0: it. It's not quite right. It's like kind of a reference to the neighborhood that they're in, but also a place in a house.
1: The basement? No. The kitchen? Oh, it's called The Kitchen.
0: Yeah, The Kitchen, as in I think Hell's Kitchen. Uh... Cool. All right. That's one point for Wade. Next movie is a comedy. It's from 2016. A titan of industry is sent to prison after she's caught insider trading. When she emerges ready to rebrand herself as America's latest sweetheart, not everyone she's screwed over is so quick to forgive and forget. Um, also with Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Bell, Peter Dinklage. A movie that I saw only once in theaters, but thought was pretty, pretty great at the time. Hmm. I do not. I do not know what this means. Okay, it refers to like a job title: the intern, the assistant. No. no, think higher up on the corporate food chain: the boss. That is correct, Zane. You got it. The boss from 2016. Next movie is a uh, sick 2015 comedy starring Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart. When millionaire James King is jailed oh, for fraud, this is of
1: course Get Hard. <laughs>
0: It is Get Hard. That is correct. All right. Next up. It's a movie from a famous series. It is a 2009 film.
2: The Prisoner of Azkaban.
0: It's a comedy of drama. It's not The Prisoner of Azkaban by an old neighbor of man Wade's.
1: Oh, is this Medea Goes to Jail?
0: Yes, it is Tyler Perry's Medea Goes to Jail. Next movie on this list. It stars Jim Carrey and Obi-Wan Kenobi himself also a 2009 film this movie it's a romance drama. this movie
1: i believe is i love you philip
0: morris that is correct which i think has some weird tie in with Man. paddington right
1: the it's the same composer as the original paddington
0: look at that oh wow look at that the the connections literally astound That's a
1: pretty good movie that I think time has forgotten about.
0: That is a pretty good movie. Uh, The next movie is 1999 Fantasy Drama. It is a long movie. It's clocking in at three hours and nine minutes. It's based on Stephen King's 1996 novel of the same name. Uh, Green Mile? Shawshank Redemption? Wade, you have got not only... The Green Mile, but also Shawshank Redemption, which was the the next one on the list. So, Zane, you've got <laughs> oh. one shot at redemption here. One more shot at a Shawshank Redemption for Zane, if you can guess the oh, last man. movie on this list. It's the film that started it all. The original, remember the name. Perhaps we're going to have to go back next year to tell you what it's really all about. This is a movie from 2003. A Family Adventure. It's an American neo-Western comedy drama film directed by Andrew Davis and written by Louis Sackar, um, based on the, uh, his novel of the same name. Oh, wait, like the guy who wrote Holes? That, Louis? Is it Holes? Zane, you have won the game! <laughs> <Come on. laughs> Ridiculous. Seems
1: Zane, like thank you win. so
0: much. For coming on. You will win 10 free... this yes, that's right. 10 free episodes of Cinema Bums right into your ears th- that you already <laughs> got for free. That's all we're offering. But congratulations. You, would, you have them. Is there anything you'd like to plug before you go? Uh, I guess, let's see.
2: I actually, right before this episode comes out, will my band we'll have just put out a single for an Mm -hmm. EP that's coming out right after this episode. Uh, So if you want to go look up caffeine daydream on Spotify or Apple music or whatever you have, uh, we just finally got around to mixing a bunch of re-recordings we did of our, our first EP, which we recorded two weeks into being a band and have since uh, fleshed out considerably. So uh, if you're into modern blues rock or kind of grunge influenced stuff, then go look up that. And there's a new, a brand new
0: song waiting, waiting for you. Thank you. That's super exciting. And it was awesome to have you on to talk about the Remember the Name series episodes three and four. Can't wait to see what episodes uh, five and six have in store for us next year. Until then, in 16 weeks, we will be discussing Jordan Peele's Nope. Next week, we are starting our Robert Eggers miniseries. And we're beginning with The Witch from 2016. Until then, dear listeners, stay marmagazed.
1: Ooh, (laughs) that's good. All
0: right.